There are a couple of those verses in How Firm a Foundation that we don't do often enough. And uh, at the No Regrets Men's Conference yesterday, uh, as we were singing through that, uh, I turned to Gabe and I said, man, we don't sing that, that song often enough. As it turned out, we used that song to replace a different song that was planned for today. And uh, so we were able to add that into uh, what we normally do here. So <clears throat> it's exciting to know that no matter what we're going through, and everybody goes through it, amen? Everybody goes through things, goes through things that make you want to give up, make you want to quit. Seems like it's just worse and worse, and we can look at the world around us and feel like, man, it's, it's never been this bad. This is the worst it's ever been. No matter what we face, God has laid for us a firm foundation in His excellent Word. And when we cling to the truth of who God says He is and what God says He will do and what He tells us about the world around us and about ourselves, then that gives us a firm place to stand. It's a steadying, stabilizing influence that can carry us through all of the junk. And when we realize that sometimes He calls us through the deep waters, but He goes with us through those waters. And I love the line that says that He will sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. The distress that we feel in our, in our lives, God sanctifies. He makes it holy. He works together for good all things for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So whatever it is, we see this throughout the history of Israel, we see it throughout the history of the church, we see it in our own lives if we pay attention when we cling to God's Word, we recognize the reality that God is in it. Now right now, if you go through our prayer list, which is in your programs, you will see hard, heavy, even overwhelming things that we need to pray for. 17-year-olds with cancer who end up with limbs amputated over it. Family situations that seem irredeemable unrescuable in unspeakable things God is in it he has promised this when he calls us through the fiery trials we need to recognize that he has a design in it a purpose a plan and he uses even the evil things the things that he hates the things that the devil seeks to use as a weapon against us, God has already ordained as a tool to shape us, to build our faith. His design is to burn up, to consume the dross, the waste, and refine the gold. That's the purpose of all of the struggles that we go through. Every hardship that you faced in your life, this includes every good thing as well, but every hardship that you faced in your life from before you were ever aware of it, was designed by God to bring you to the foot of the cross. Once you have come to Him, you've been flat down on your back with no place to look but up, and you say, God, I'm yours. Save me. I'm going to put all my hope in your Son, Jesus Christ, because I've got nothing, and I need you. Once you come to that place, then the purpose shifts slightly and yet seismically. It's no longer to bring you to Him for salvation because once you've received that, you can never ha have that relationship undone. No, instead, it's that refining process. Instead, now that we have become a child of God, now that we're in Christ, everything is conspiring together to make us more like Christ. When we suffer, we remember that Christ also suffered. And we become more like Him through that suffering. When we face injustice, we recognize that Christ faced the ultimate injustice. And we become more like Him through dealing with injustice. Not only that, but we see that God has given us work to do in this world in combating the injustice. In dealing with all of the confusion and wickedness and wretchedness of this world, we are His ambassadors 
as if God were making His appeal through us. That's the message of the latter part of 2 Corinthians 5. And He's called us to that, to a purpose, to a mission. And when we get distracted, confused, consumed with the things of this world, overwhelmed by the injustice and the wickedness around us and we seem to alternately be sucked into it where we participate in that and we we end up with worldly desires that drag us down or we see the wickedness around us and we get filled with indignance and anger i contend toward both of those things what god has called us to instead is to not see life through the lens of what seems real. All of the things around us in this temporal plane. But to cling to what is real as we see it in His Word. Today, we begin a new series uh, in 2 Thessalonians. And so as is our general practice when we begin a new book, we'll kind of do an overview. So we'll, we'll kind of look at this from from 10,000 feet and, and see uh, what's going on in the whole of, uh, of Second Thessalonians. But as we begin with it, uh, our text that I'll read for you today contains our memory verse in it. You can see that in your program, that's verse 15. But I will uh, be reading as our text from Second Thessalonians uh, verses 13 to 17. And as we are um, recognizing this text that we are reading, not as, as any human opinion or uh, just a regular book, but the very Word of the living God, I would ask you to stand out of reverence for that Word, signifying in that physical act, if you're able, don't, don't, don't feel like you're compelled to do this out of some legalistic thing, but we want to, we want to acknowledge that this is the Word of God. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. This is the Word of God, read in your hearing. Receive it in faith. Heavenly Father, as we open Your Word today, we want to study Your Word. We want to read it. We want to hear it. We want to receive it. We want to live it. But Lord, we recognize that it's not so much us reading Your Word as Your Word reading us. So open our hearts. Open our minds. Transform us by the renewing of those minds according to Your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So as we are uh, working through uh, the book of 2 Thessalonians, it's, it's important for us to re recognize that it comes not long after uh, Paul's first letter. So um, we believe it's probably around the same year. It's, it's in that same window. Not very much time has passed, and yet in the intervening time, some false teaching seems to have arisen. Uh, there are rumors perhaps a letter that was uh you know a forgery that's claimed to be from paul or one of the apostles claiming things that were contrary to the teachings of the apostles and so paul gets word and, and responds now to his friends at, at uh, thessalonica about this teaching that has them somehow thinking that the the end has already come or at least has already been inaugurated so that 
their their thinking is we're we're on a really short window and we're very concerned about all of the distress that's happening remember that the thessalonians were a persecuted church paul was chased out of there and after he left uh they chased him out of the next town too the 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 jews and also the great the gentiles who were there they didn't want him not not only did they not want him in their town they didn't want him preaching it anywhere and so they chase him he ends up probably writing this from corinth and as he uh, responds to them he's received the good news prior to first thessalonians that they are walking in the faith that they have not only survived the persecution but they are flourishing and now by the time of the second letter they're flourishing they're still growing in faith but they're confused they're distressed they're wrestling with how do we walk this out how do we live this life in the midst of everything that's going on our core reality for today which is the core reality really for the entire letter we'll refer back to it periodically throughout the series is that in a confusing world clinging to the truth of god's word gives hope to carry on in a confusing world clinging to the truth of god's word gives hope to carry on you might notice that the 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 title of uh, the message today is hold fast in the newer niv and and uh, various other translations uh, you'll see the new niv new 2011 but you know the the newer edition of it um, that where the older niv says hold to the teachings that phrase hold fast is in there i think that's right it's hold is right too but the connotation that hold fast gives us a certain clinging idea the desperation stand firm hold fast like a steer in a blizzard or a buffalo in the wilderness turning toward it facing it standing strong you will not overwhelm me and paul's entire emphasis not only with the thessalonian church but for all of us and throughout his letters is that your strength is not it's not in yourself with apologies to that great famous theologian and philosopher winnie the pooh you're not stronger or smarter than you think it's exactly the opposite you're not strong you're not smart you're not courageous in yourself and to the extent that you think you are you will rely on yourself and that's like holding on to a frayed rope to save you from falling off a cliff you might be able to cling to it for a while but eventually that rope will break clinging to our own strength is a dangerous place to be and with this new church paul had only been with them for about a month before he was chased out of there so this church is probably less than a year old and they're already seeing this this sped up process of finding the truth of christ taking it in growing being tested being persecuted enduring false teaching and confusion turning back from that so that they could walk on that's the message if i were going to boil down this uh this uh, entire letter this core reality as we're walking through it it became very popular probably ad nauseum in the last couple of years but the old british adage keep calm and carry on that's what paul's saying here i know it's alarming i know you're hearing all of this noise i know that it seems like the entire world is crashing down on you and it's the worst it's ever been and it can't get worse and he's saying listen keep calm carry on settle down people relax and understand it'll get worse isn't that an encouraging message the encouragement part is it'll get worse but god's got this it was the plan straight along so when you hear these things trust what you've been taught 
the antidote to your panic, the antidote for us today in this epidemic of anxiety that we face, the constant polarization and anger of our, of our world around us, the antidote is sound doctrine. It's holding on, devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. What in this swirling eddy of a world, in this just desperate, dark swill of garbage that's out here, can we possibly hope in? If your answer is anything other than the truth of God's Word, help you. Because you're not going to be able to make it. At the same time, <laughs> let's, let's not let ourselves be those dour, over-serious, testy kind of Christians who can't laugh and can't enjoy life. Happiness is to know the Savior. We, of all people, should be the happiest people on the planet because we know how it ends. And we're on the right side. And there's a whole lot of darkness between now and then. But that darkness will be destroyed by the light of God's glory. Christ has already defeated the darkness. And so we win. In a confusing world, clinging to the truth of God's Word gives hope to carry on. Now, take a look at, at chapter 1. And I'm going to handle this a little differently than what I might normally handle it. And I'm going to actually read more than preach. Now I say that. But you know there's a very good chance that at some point I'm just going to get excited. So be mad at me if you want. I'm, I'm just going to do whatever happens here. So as we look at chapter 1, notice this principle running through it. Our hope in an unjust world is the perfect justice of our returning King. Our hope in an unjust world is the perfect justice of our returning King. And as we look at chapter 1, just to give you a heads up, we're going to read it in just a moment, what we see is Paul being thankful and letting them know. He's encouraging them by saying, look, I am so thankful. We are so thankful for the reports that we get, to know that you're growing, to see these wonderful things. But understand, you're being persecuted, we're being persecuted too. There's a lot of wrong going on here. Our hope is that Jesus is coming back and He's going to set it right. And those who persecute His people will themselves face His wrath. Alright, so let's begin with verse 1. Paul, Silas, you might have Silvanus in your translation, same guy. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that the church is rooted in Christ. Right? This is, this is who we are. It's the church, that local church in Thessalonica, the church of the Thessalonians, but the church belongs to God our Father through Jesus Christ. This is why He addresses them the way He does. And as he so often does in his letters, he gives them the salutation of grace and peace to you. What a great thing. Isn't that what we want from God? Grace, what we don't deserve, the good blessings that we can't earn, and peace, as he describes it elsewhere, peace that transcends, that goes beyond understanding. How do we have peace in this world? I don't know. By trusting God. And he gives us peace that doesn't make any sense to those who don't trust God. But when we trust Him, when we know Him, when we're in Him, we can cast our anxieties on Him. And then we can have a peace that we can't even figure out ourselves. And it comes from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers. And rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love of every one of you, the, the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. This is the reason for rejoicing for Paul. To see this dynamic in the church, that you're growing in faith and you're growing in love for each other. 
Therefore, verse 4, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. They're going through injustice. Verse 5, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Let that sink in for just a moment before we continue. This is the joy, this is the encouragement that you will be counted worthy. The suffering that we endure for the kingdom of God is part and parcel of the worthy walk as we walk in Christ's footsteps. Verse 6, God is just. The world is unjust. Cling to those three words. God is just. Everybody say that with me. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. And to us as well. Paul's not separating himself from it. They're going through the same troubles. We walk in it together. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. He established this end times dynamic as the foundation of their hope in the first letter. As He spoke about what what we often call the rapture, that that we'll be caught up with Christ. Saying He is returning. And when He returns, it's not going to be like you saw Him when He left. It's going to be exactly like that. But He's not going to be the Lamb. He's going to be the Lion. He's going to come with blazing fire. He's coming in majesty. No longer to save, but to judge. To take His people from this injustice. To destroy everything that is less than perfect. Less than submitted to God. All sin, all sinners, will face God's judgment. Hmm. Verse 8, He will punish those who do not know God. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. When Christ comes, His glory is in His holy people. He is glorified in the church. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Verse 11, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of His calling and that by His power He may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope in an unjust world is the perfect justice of our returning King. Remember our core reality. In a confusing world, clinging to the truth of God's Word gives hope to carry on. When we see the injustice around us, we can let our feelings our own understanding dominate our thinking and our emotions, that doesn't end well. Or we can cling to the promise of Christ's return in His Word. We can cling to God's Word promising the perfect justice that comes from His direct rule. That is a sure thing. When we talk about hope biblically, hope is a certainty of what is not yet realized. I know for sure that it is coming. It's not like I hope it doesn't rain today. It's not that that guessing, boy, wishful thinking kind of stuff. And sometimes we act like it is. Biblical hope is, I'm banking on this. The, The relationship between hope and faith is so close as to be virtually indistinguishable. I'm putting my hope in Him because He said He would come. And I know I don't wish, I know He's coming. And when He comes, He's going to set everything right. And I'm going to cling to that promise. That's why we carry on. Notice in chapter 2, our peace in a confusing world is the stabilizing truth of sound teaching. Our peace 
in a confusing world is the stabilizing truth of sound teaching. Now, we know, we've discussed already so many times, that the real epidemic of our age is the, the mental health epidemic, the anxiety, the depression, the uncontrolled rage, all of these things that press down on us and are symptoms of our times. Symptoms of seeing a world that just isn't right. We know it's broken. It doesn't take a whole lot to see that. What I have a hard time figuring out is the optimism that some people have, right? I I mean, I don't get it. Because I've read enough history to see that things don't go the way we keep saying, that that we are progressing. This was the big big battle uh, in the philosophies of the late 19th century and the early 20th century, that the world is getting better. And if we just educate people, if we just fix the economy, that it it will get better. And people are basically good. And so uh, in, in the progress of history, we just keep getting better. And you could see some evidence for that. There was modern medicine that was growing. The infant mortality rate had dropped significantly. Uh, I just was uh, listening to uh, a history thing yesterday. In the Middle Ages, uh, the mortality rate for children from birth to 15 years old was 50%. You mean you had a coin toss chance of getting to 15 years old alive? Yeah, I think we've improved that. I think we're bettered. But where we're better in one area, we're worse in others. So in that same time, in much less time actually, because this is a 20th century phenomenon, we developed all sorts of new technologies, first to keep those babies from ever being conceived in the first place, and then to kill them in the womb before they ever get born. Are we better? Morally speaking, I would contend we haven't changed since Genesis 3. People don't get better. Unless, and this is the physical principle of entropy that we see in a world that's just constantly hurtling toward death, disorder, and decay. Everything is breaking down. Everything is getting worse. Every system breaks down unless acted upon by an outside force. That's true of us morally. We don't get better. Contrary to all the pop psychology that we love to throw around, the truth is, people don't change. Man, you're a cynical preacher. Listen, I'm just telling you how it is, and you already know it if you've tried forgiving an addict. Some of you in this room know what it's like not only to have one of your loved ones dealing with addiction, you know what it's like to be that addict. I want to suggest to you that we are all addicts. We're addicted to sin. We're addicted to self. We don't get better. We don't change unless acted upon by an outside force. So even if I change my behaviors, I don't change that inner person until God takes out my old heart and gives me a new one. And the blood of Jesus Christ covers everything that I have done. And His death is credited to me. So my debt is paid. And His life, His perfectly righteous life, having never sinned, is likewise credited to me. So that I receive as a gift, as a credit to my account that I did not earn, His life and righteousness. That's how we change. Anything else is rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. We're still going down. We get a lot of confusion around us. This world, our society, is fraught with false teaching. And I suggest to you that our new technologies of communication do not make that better. They make it worse. I should temper that. In some ways, they do make it better. Because sound teaching is more available than it's ever been, right? 
more people have access to the Bible and the Word of God than ever before. Right now, most of you in this room have an electronic device, a phone, a tablet, that has a Bible app on it. And you have all of the Bible instantly at your fingertips. And if you have an app like that, you probably have a variety of translations that has never been available at any other point in history. And you've got it in your pocket. That's better. And yet, the availability of false teaching, the propagation of, what do we call it today? Still fake news? We, 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 we come up with new terms, but it's the same stuff. False information, confusion, misleading information that sounds true and maybe even uses true words to mean false concepts. There are cults out there that use the exact same language as orthodox christians they just have completely different definitions of what it means language matters definitions matter doctrine matters i'm not going to have you turn there but you might note for yourself ephesians chapter 4 it'll probably come up as we get to this section in second thessalonians later on but in Ephesians chapter 4, we see uh, God's gifts of, of the pastor, teachers, evangelists who are there to equip the saints. But he continues to develop it that the unity that we find in the church comes as we grow in doctrine. I attended a church one time as a guest, not, not regularly, and they actually had a brochure, a flyer, uh, this was back in the 90s, that pointed out it said that the whole thing was making the point we don't teach doctrine because doctrine divides and i said well that's interesting because that's your doctrine you just put out a flyer with your teaching that you don't have teaching illogical assumptions aside the claim was we can't have teaching or we will have division Unity comes when we wrestle, when we debate, when we disagree. But we are devoted to the apostles' teaching. So as we wrestle through it, as we get through the hard questions, and boy, I disagree. I don't think that means what you think it means. Y'all know I go a princess bride right now. As, as you're working through this, we can come to unity in God's Word. And the closer you and I, even when we're far apart in our understanding, the closer we get to the truth, the closer we get to each other. We find that the confusion gets sorted out through the truth of God's Word. Didn't I say I wasn't going to preach? All right, so here we go. Chapter 2. Thankfully, this is a short book. We would not do this with Romans. Anyway, chapter 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are being gathered to Him. Alright, so He just talked about this in the last letter. Already we're getting confusion, we're getting falsehood, misleading teachings, and He's setting them straight here. That's, that's the point. Our peace in a confusing world is the stabilizing truth of sound teaching. Concerning that, we ask you brothers not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't be confused, don't be worked up, don't be angry, just chill. Verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is whispered so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. We'll get into the, into the weeds here, into the details of it when we come to this section. Verse 7, for the, secret power, <clears throat> excuse me, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of His mouth and destroy by the splendor of His coming. 
coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. And in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. That deceives those who are perishing. If we're in Christ, we cannot ultimately be deceived. We can be momentarily deceived and misled, but the Spirit of God will, God will not allow us to stay in the embrace of evil and falsehood. If we do, if we reject the Holy Spirit and embrace falsehood and evil, then we are among those who are perishing. Verse 11, For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Notice that contrast. Believing the truth or delighting in wickedness. I'm going to save that sermon for next next time we get to there. Verse 13, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of, of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this, to this belief through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. In a confusing world, clinging to the truth of God's Word gives hope to carry on our peace in a confusing world is the stabilizing truth of sound teaching our hope in an unjust world is the perfect justice of our returning king notice as we look at chapter 3 our mandate in a wicked world is the diligent perseverance of faithful obedience our mandate in a wicked world is the diligent perseverance of faithful obedience 3 starting with verse 1 finally brothers Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful. And He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. It's a good rule, huh? We hear that some among you are idle. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down. Settle down, you people, and earn the bread they eat. As for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Boy, we work really hard to remove shame, don't we? In our society, in the church, we want to make things palatable. We want to make everybody comfortable. I'm not coming to church because I was offended. Um, if you weren't, you weren't at church, probably. Because everything that I keep reading in this book seems to be stepping on my toes every doggone time I open it. Can't get away from the offense of the Word of God. It keeps pointing out my shortcomings. How rude.
If anyone doesn't obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of him. Don't associate with him. In order that he may feel ashamed. Verse 15. Yet, do not regard him as an enemy. Notice the balance here. We'll get to that. But warn him as a brother. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. Our mandate in a wicked world is the diligent perseverance of faithful obedience. There's diligence. We persevere through the adversity. We persevere in our diligence and we're diligent in our perseverance. All of this is part of our faithful obedience. We don't get saved by obeying, but because we are saved, we long to obey. It's the people of God who say with the psalmist, I love your word. I love your commands. I look forward to seeing your law. I want more of your precepts. It's the world that says, that's so oppressive. If you're offended by the law of God, you need to figure out which team you're on. Because those who are in Christ have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside them. Those who have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside them cannot despise the book that Holy Spirit wrote. Therefore, we surrender and cling to God's Word. Jesus said, if you keep my commands, you truly are my disciples. Conversely, the flip side of that coin, if we don't long to keep His commands, if our heart doesn't hunger to please Him, we cannot claim to truly be His disciples. We live in a world that is telling us the opposite. The number of so-called Christians that I hear or see or read trying to soft-pedal the law of God or conversely, we, we, we see a lot of legalism that it's all about the law and if you don't keep the law, then you don't know Him. All right? these, these polar opposites are exactly what the devil wants. He wants that pendulum swing. So we go so far that we try to keep the law perfectly ourselves so that we can please God. Good luck with that. If you've been trying it for five minutes, you already know how that's going to end. Then we go the other way in what, what uh, Luther called antinomianism, and that became an accusation leveled against Luther and Lutherans after that. But the idea that there is no law, like that Little Caesars commercial, there are no rules, put your shirt on, there's one rule. The idea that there are no rules and a Christ follower doesn't need to worry about obeying God is not anything from Christ. If we love the Lord, we love His Word. If we love the Lord, we want to obey His Word. Right? I show my parents I love them by obeying what they tell me. If I say I love you and I refuse to obey my parents... Guess what that message tells me, right? In the same way, we are called in the midst of this wicked world to faithful obedience that is characterized by a diligent perseverance, a work ethic that glorifies God, a work ethic about how we approach our discipleship. I'll let that ride. We'll preach it more later, but think that through. What is your work ethic related to your own discipleship? How hungry are you? In a confusing world, clinging to the truth of God's Word gives hope to carry on. So what are we going to do about it? I'm going to leave that to you for now. There are some questions written on your, on your insert in your program. I would encourage you to wrestle with these. Not just now. Yes, now. Right now. As we ask these questions, think about it. Name it in your mind. Write it on your paper. 
Don't worry about if anybody else is looking at it. They got their own business to deal with. What things in the world around me cause me distress, anger, or confusion? When I watch the news, when I listen to that podcast, when I talk to people, when I see, you know, whatever, political parties, signs, all, all the different kinds of things that, that get us worked up. What is it that gets you worked up? That causes you to freak out? Hey, I just don't know if I can take this anymore. Whether that, everybody's emotions manifest a little bit differently. Whether it brings you into a depression and tears or it brings you to, to an anger and a rage. We, we all have different ways of processing, but what is it around you? in our society, just like in Thessalonica, as they had these reports that distressed them. And then ask yourself also, what, what things in my own life, me personally, not the society at large, not what I hear on the news, what am I going through? What am I living through? What injustice, what falsehood, what, what wickedness, is attacking me from without and maybe more importantly from within. In other words, what, what do I have in my own walk, in my own walk with Christ personally, that besetting sin, that way of thinking that causes me distress, anger, or confusion? I know I need to deal with it, but I don't even know how. We need to identify these things. You've got to diagnose the illness before you can develop a treatment. Lastly, ask yourself, in, in what areas do I struggle most with full obedience and surrender to the Lord's commands? If you're honest and have even a shred of introspection, before I ever ask that question, you already know where you struggle. Now, there may be more. <laughs> you may have more struggles. You deal with one and then the rest start popping up. Don't let it turn into whack-a-mole. But as you're, as you're dealing with these things, what is it that's been just beleaguering you in your own walk with Christ? Where do you struggle most in full obedience and surrender to the Lord's commands? We're going to work through this as we go, but understand this. We live in a world full of injustice, full of falsehood, full of sin. There's no way for us to avoid that. As we deal with the distress, anger, and confusion that inevitably come along with that, we need to not let all this junk swirling around us alarm us or take us to a place where our focus is not on Christ. That's easy to do. We end up leaning on our own understanding rather than trusting in the Lord with our whole heart. We put all of our, our weight, all of our hope, all of our expectation in the new technology, the promotion, another degree, the next self-help book, or TED Talk, or whatever, or, or the next election. We're going to have a lot of that this year, right? It's an election year all kinds of news about elections and so on and so forth wars and rumors of wars and you know what perfect policy the government needs to come up with just i just want to calm your nerves by telling you there is no perfect policy there's no such thing not in this life whoever becomes president next fall will disappoint you it doesn't matter the, all of these things that we put our weight on. We, it takes our focus off of Christ. I'm not telling you not to participate, not to care. But keep it in perspective, people. <laughs> you people. <laughs> what I'm pointing out there, there's three fingers pointing back at me. i got to tell myself this every day. And sometimes I have to stop listening to a particular podcast. Or I have to stop getting on YouTube. Or I have to stop reading the newspaper. I have to just stop. Side note, this is a freebie. It has nothing to do with where we're going. I just want to throw this out there. That's one of the great benefits 
of the Sabbatarians, those who take the Sabbath, the Lord's Day as a Sabbath seriously, and say, you know what? It's the Lord's Day. I don't need a newspaper. I don't need to get on Facebook. I don't need these secular things. My attention, my focus, I'm going to break the rhythm and focus all of my day on the Lord. I'm not telling you that in a legalistic way. I'm just saying there's some real benefit to breaking that cycle. To just have one day out of your week that says the world can kick rocks. I'm done with this. Today, my focus is on Him. Tomorrow I'll take up that mantle of, the, of participating in the rest of it, but I can do that refreshed and renewed because I've filled myself with eternal thoughts. We can't let all that stuff overwhelm us. The steadfast, victorious life to which the Lord has called us is not some far-off, pie-in-the-sky kind of thing. It's right here for us. Not only that, it's commanded of us. God commands us to be steadfast, victorious, joyful, happy in Him. We take hold of it by remembering what God's Word teaches us about the present, about the future, and about how they connect. We're going to spend the next seven or so weeks exploring this in the application of this letter's core reality. In a confusing world, clinging to the truth of God's Word gives us hope to carry on. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, um, we long for your grace and your peace. And so Paul's, uh, Paul's words, they really they resonate with our hearts if we listen. We want the encouragement that you offer us in Christ. We want the good hope. We want you to strengthen us in every good deed and word. Lord, give us the hope to carry on. To walk in newness of life. To walk worthy of the calling we have received. Not to try to fix ourselves by some sort of a therapeutic self-help thing. But to recognize that Christ died in our place. So that we might become your righteousness. And you have given us your Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing that you will finish what you started. That when Christ returns, and He will, that your glory will be so manifest that we won't even need a sun or moon because we'll be lit up by your presence. Help us to cling to that in the midst of all that's swirling around us. Pray this in Jesus' name.